Today is Saturday, June 19, 2021. Welcome back to the One America podcast. This is your host, Sophia Nelson, and it is good to be back with you. Happy summer. Happy uh, we are uh, getting through COVID and able to take off our mask a little bit more, able to go out, able to travel. I just returned from international travel overseas in the Caribbean for a wedding. It was amazing. I got to talk to people from all over the world. People were so nice to one another. They were sharing drinks, buying drinks, laughing. Uh, people, it was good to connect. It was good to get back to some normalcy. Uh, the people in the Bahamas were wonderful. Thank you. Uh, shout out to the Bahamar Resort uh, in uh, Nassau, the Grand Hyatt, um, and to the staff there for taking so uh, good care of us and for um, uh, making sure that Katina and Rod, uh, the president of Philander Smith College, uh, had an amazing wedding. We were all in tears. We were all excited. And uh, we are looking forward to seeing what they do over the next 25, 30, 40 years of their lives. A true love story. Follow my timeline on my Twitter and and Instagram pages if you're interested in their story. Uh, It's a great love story for folks at midlife to know that it ain't over till it's over. You can still uh, meet the love of your life. You can rediscover the love of your life. You can find love again and uh it ain't over like i said till it's over so happy juneteenth day uh juneteenth is now a federal holiday thank you to president biden thank you to the united states senate unanimously confirming the holiday and 14 republican members of the house of representatives objected to this federal holiday 14 out of uh 435 members of Congress. And so uh, that is sad, uh, but this is America. They're allowed to dissent. They're allowed to disagree. Uh, I never want us to lose that right. But I want to talk to you today about Juneteenth. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about the history of what Juneteenth means. I know that to a lot of my fellow Americans, particularly those who are not African-American, a lot of you are probably confused about this because there's this big debate about uh, July 4th, 1776, of course, American Independence Day, versus uh, the historical legacy of Juneteenth. Now, uh, I want to break this down because I think that one of the great problems that we're having in our country right now is that we aren't listening and we aren't getting good information about our history. You have to, in any relationship you're in, your marriage, with your family, at your job, with your friends, there has to be honesty. And there has to be acknowledgement of truth. And there has to be acknowledgement of when we've hurt each other. And we have to apologize. And we have to make turns and changes. And and we have to... Um, make amends and we have to have this honesty and this transparency and this authenticity in order for us to keep our relationships alive, to keep them obeyed in love, uh, to keep them going, to to keep them thriving. And that is no different for great nations. And so I want to start today with a little bit of a primer. I don't want to talk too long Uh, But I do want to get into this a little bit, and I want to encourage you, after you've listened to this podcast today and throughout the rest of the week and whenever you listen to it, I want to encourage you to go back to my first 
uh, podcast, maybe the first, second one. And I did one on the 1619 Project because this sits right in the middle of this debate we're having right now about our past, about the impact of slavery on our modern day race relationships, on our modern day economic relationships, on our modern day equity, on our modern day uh, diversity and inclusion initiatives. And, and, and history is never divorced from our present or our future because history leaves a footprint, right? Our history, again, think about your history as a human being. I, as a, I've talked about this many times and, and we'll talk about it many times more as the daughter of an alcoholic. That childhood, that past, those things that happened in my childhood still impact me to this very day. That doesn't mean that I let my history define me. It doesn't mean that I didn't make different choices and wasn't able to be a better person and not to follow the history of many, many people in my family. It doesn't mean that. What it means is, though, is that I had to be aware. Great tweet I saw from actress um, Lauren Holly. And she said, in order for us to change our history, we have to know our history. And we have to be able to understand it in order to not repeat it. And so I'm paraphrasing. She did a much more uh, eloquent job than what I just did and how I mangled her tweet. But you get the point. The point is, is that history is important because it teaches us something. And if we lie about it, if we deny it, if we cover history up, not only do we not understand what happened and why we don't want it to happen again, we put ourselves in a very dangerous position of repeating that history. And, you know, I like to think of myself as a junior historian. I was not a history major. I was a political science major and I'm a lawyer by profession, and I'm now an author, and I've written an amazing book, E Pluribus One, Reclaiming Our Founders' Vision for a United America. And I really want to encourage you to get a copy of that book if you haven't. And uh, we're hoping to get that out in paperback updated um, you know, soon. Um, and it's time, and I wish I was writing that book right now because, boy, is it needed. I was a little bit early, but that's okay. Early's never bad. It uh, just means I was thinking about this before it became something that the country is now having to grapple with. But I think anybody who was paying attention back in the 2015 presidential primaries and the 2016 election, you had to see that there was this big divide and that there are really two Americas. And it's really important that we put that into context because for those of us living in the 21st century and those of us born in the 20th century like me, and to those like my grandmother, who's still alive at 91 and was born uh, around the Great Depression uh, in the 20th century, very different experiences than uh, our children, nieces, nephews that are now in their teens or their early 20s. Uh, to them, they are confused by this because they grew up in a world where they had a black president. They grew up in a world where the vice president is a woman and a woman of color. Uh, they grew up in a world where women are CEOs of the Fortune 500. Women are anchors on television. Women are college presidents. People of color are college presidents. And so on, on the one hand, when you look at this, it looks like we've made all this enormous progress, right? And be clear, we have made enormous progress. But when you begin to put into context our history and how many people have been impacted by events that took place literally 160 
200 plus years ago and you go down to the Mississippi Delta and you go down to Louisiana and you go down to Arkansas and you go down to Alabama and you go down to Tennessee or to Georgia or here in the Commonwealth Virginia in certain parts you begin to see a huge racial divide that still plays out in the South, even the New South, or into the Midwest where a lot of African Americans migrated to St. Louis, to Chicago, and other places in the Midwest, Michigan, Detroit, because there were jobs and people wanted to flee Jim Crow and they didn't want to be a part of of the Jim Crow South that was oppressive and didn't allow people to vote and you could be beat to death just for walking down the street or lynched, God forbid. Uh, black men coming back from fighting in war in World War One and World War Two, uh, being lynched in their uniforms. Lynched in their uniforms. German Nazis being brought to justice, sitting in first-class cars or... Uh, regular seating and black people put in the back wearing the uniform. This country has to reckon with its past because like I said, just like in our marriages, just like in our families, just like in our friendships, if we don't reckon with our past sins, if we don't reckon with the things we didn't get right, if we don't change, if we don't repent, if we don't turn and do better, we repeat again and again and again the very things that we don't want to repeat, the very things that we don't want to be. And so I want to just give you a little bit of context and history about this Juneteenth holiday that is now a federal holiday. And there are many celebrations all over the country. Uh, I believe that people are getting off. If they didn't get off Friday, they're getting off Monday. And let's go back to January 1863. Abraham Lincoln is president of the United States. He's the 16th president of the United States of America. We're in the middle of a civil war. The North is not able to beat back the South as quickly as it thought it would. The war is now two years plus in in 1863. The South has had some victories. Uh, Robert E. Lee is proving to be the amazing general that everybody knew he was when he was a union officer and he's elusive. They can't get him. They can't choke off the Confederates. So Lincoln understands that one of the best things he can do is to end slavery. And by doing so, uh, throwing the Confederacy into chaos because their economy depends on slave labor. Uh, and that is really at the heart of what the civil war is about. Don't let uh, these newfangled, particularly these right wing, and yeah, I said it, um, don't let these right wing historians try to sell you on the bogus nonsense that somehow our American journey begins in 1776. That's not true. Virginia was formed as the first colony in 1607. Slavery began here in the Commonwealth of Virginia around the parts of Fort Monroe, now known as Hampton Roads, in 1619. Before America was America, before America was independent from the crown, America was a group of colonies. And those colonies had independent governors, they had houses of Burgess, legislatures, assemblies, however they were named in their individual uh, states. And it wasn't until they had had enough of the oppression, don't miss what I'm saying, of the taxation, of the... British troops being able to come into their homes, into their businesses, in many cases raped women and abused children and do all kind of horrible things under 
the protection of the crown. An American patriot like my favorite Sam Adams and John Adams and Ben Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and, uh, you know, Madison and the founding fathers, Patterson of New Jersey. Again, I can go on and on and on. And yes, I'm a nerd, so I know them all. But 55 men signed the Declaration of Independence in Philadelphia on July 4, 1776. And that is seen by many as Independence Day. And it is our American independence. However, at the time that these white men who were merchants and wealthy and uh, owners and, and, and planners and plantation owners, specifically uh, Jefferson and Washington, at that time, there were about 500,000 or more enslaved people in the United States of America who did not get their freedom on July 4, 1776. Let's stop there. Let me say that again. On July 4, 1776, some half a million human beings, human beings did not get their freedom. So what's the problem then? Fast forward to today, 2021, with us acknowledging that in 1863 of January, President Lincoln signed the Emancipation, the Emancipation Proclamation. And yet, because of the Confederacy and because of the way the war was going and martial law hadn't been declared yet with the Reconstruction, it was two years, two years before Texas, which was a Confederate state, allowed and acknowledged in June of 1865, June 19, 1865, that slaves were free. Uh, 2,000 Union troops arrived in Galveston Bay, Texas, which is close to Houston for context, and the Army announced that the more than 250,000 enslaved black people in the state, did you hear what I said? In the state of Texas alone, there were 250,000 enslaved black people just in Texas, and that they were free by executive decree that had taken place two years earlier. This date came to be known as Juneteenth by the newly freed people in Texas. Now, listen, I really want you to hear me, particularly my white listeners. And I have a lot of men that listen to this podcast um, and conservative men. And I like that uh, because I try to be balanced. I try to call this thing a thing. Um, you know, you guys know how I feel about a lot of things. I'm very conservative on many things. And then when it comes to issues of gender equality and racial equality, I've become much more centrist and moderate because of course I would be I am a woman I am a woman of color why would I not advocate for access and and unity and opportunity and inclusion for my gender and for my race of course I wouldn't for those of others as well but I want to help you understand that events are linked together they're tied together and so slavery ends after being legalized and sanctioned by the United States government for hundreds of years and then after slavery ends, on Freedom's Eve, again, 1863, January, which is the Emancipation Proclamation, but for 250,000 plus slaves in the territory of Texas, they were not freed until 1865. It took two years, even though they were legally free before they even had a clue. 
because that's what the Confederacy did. And we'll do a podcast on what I think about the Confederacy another time. We're not going to do that today because I want to stick close to this. But I think it's really, really important for us to understand that as President Biden has now signed the bill into law, this is now a federal holiday. And it's important that we understand after Juneteenth, the nation went into what was called the post-emancipation period, known as Reconstruction, 1865 to 1877. And that was marked as an era of great hope, uncertainty, and struggle for the nation as a whole because Lincoln understood that as the war came to an end before he was assassinated in April of 1865, that he understood that he was going to need to bring the sister states that had been formerly colonies in the South back under the umbrella of the Union. Now, I would like at some point when I go on to glory and I hope I get to talk to Abraham Lincoln, he's one of the first people I want to talk to. I'm going to tell him I think he made a mistake. I don't think he should have forgiven the Confederates. I don't think he should have not had them hung for treason. I do not in any way, shape, or form think they deserved reparations. And let me say that again. Again, for those of you listening, you need to learn your history. The Confederates, the people who made rebellion against the United States of America, the, 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 the shots fired at Fort Sumter, South Carolina. It's always South Carolina. And, uh, you know, the war that they made, the death toll, the loss of Union soldiers, of Confederate soldiers, uh, the bloodshed, the people who put up the Confederate flag and, and made it their battle cry flag, their rebel flag. Those people were given reparations. Let me say this again. Those people were given reparations for the slaves that they lost, for the land that they lost. The United States government paid the traitors. They paid the insurrectionists. They paid them. Yet, when discussions come up about the descendants of slaves being paid, because slaves never got the 40 acres and a mule that General Sherman said they were going to get, because Lincoln was assassinated, Johnson, a Tennessee Confederate himself, was vice president, took over, and the rest is history. But it's really important that you understand that that post-emancipation period known as Reconstruction really ushered in Jim Crow, which was a series of laws, and hostility and murder and lynching of black citizens in the South who were denied their constitutional right to vote that was given by the 15th Amendment to black men, at least, at the time. Women did not yet have the right to vote, so black women could not vote. And it was a period where the Klan was born, the Night Riders terrorizing, lynching, murdering, burning People could be beat just for walking down the street. This lasted well into, folks, the 1950s and 60s. Well into. Just learn the story of Emmett Till. And we know now that that woman who accused him of looking at her, he looked at her, recanted and said she lied. And her lie, and she's still alive, by the way, the woman who made up this vicious lie that cost this boy his life. He died in a horrific way by a mob of white men, which was always the case, whether it was with the uh, Freedom Rise, whether it was with the lunch sit-in counters, whether it was just with peaceful marches like on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, John Lewis almost beat to death, bludgeoned to death. This is our history. Let's start talking about it. Let's teach kids about it in a constructive way, at an age-appropriate way, 
And for those of you talking about critical race theory, I'm going to do a whole podcast and I'm going to get some real folks on that understand what it is, professors who teach it. I'm going to try to track down one of my Afro-American studies professors, Dr. Floyd Hayes, uh, who's retired now. But I want to talk to him about this because I remember him teaching me this in college as a freshman in my African-American studies elective course. And critical race theory is just a body of academic thought dealing with the systemic racism uh, that comes from history. And any person with any common damn sense can figure out that you got to get from A to B to C to get to D, to get to EFG, and that you cannot detach 200 plus years of legalized state-sanctioned slavery, abuse, violence, rape, and murder, and then go into a period that is supposed to reconstruct and help the descendants of slaves and help the slaves that are now freed, put up the land-grant colleges like Hampton University and Howard University and get slaves educated, And then you go into Jim Crow, which is a whole new set of state-sponsored laws, which come up with the Black Codes, which forbid intermarrying, miscegenation laws. I mean, folks, we've got a story here that we have to tell in order for us to face it so we can fix it and so we can heal and move beyond it. I don't want my nieces, who are now 18 and 22 respectively, when they're my age or older, when they're their grandparents' age in their 70s, still having this conversation with their kids or their grandkids. I don't want that for your kids either, and I don't think you do too. I think we are at an amazing moment in our history. We're at a moment where we can we can deal with this, we can face it, we can talk about it, and we can clean it up, and we can begin to shut down this racial animus, uh, the, the class and culture divisions. No, we're never going to have a perfect society because perfect doesn't exist in any world anywhere. But we can be better. A more perfect union is what our founders wanted. E pluribus unum out of many one is what they wanted. They knew it was wrong. Go look at Jefferson's first draft of the Declaration. Go look at the notes from Ben Franklin and from John Adams because the three of them, Adams, Franklin, and Jefferson, were really the ones that penned the Declaration together doing edits of Jefferson's first draft. Jefferson was a slaveholder. We know that he had a longer relationship with his concubine, Sally Hemings, his slave, than he did with his wife, who bore him children. His slave bore him five children that lived to adulthood. Okay, Two went away and passed as white and never came back. And so Jefferson, in his first draft, wanted to get rid of slavery. But South Carolina, like I told you, it's always South Carolina, didn't want that. And the southern states that wanted to keep slavery, because of course they did, because they were Billionaires. Slavery was a billion dollar enterprise in the colonies. Don't tell me that generational wealth for those who descended from slave owners, for those who ran the slave trade, for those who owned ships, for those who owned commodities, etc., sugar, rice, all the commodities that came out of the labor of slavery and benefited from it, don't have an advantage in this country in 2021 than those who came from the slavery, who got paid nothing, whose families were separated, who were beat, bludgeoned, raped, robbed, treated like less than farm animals. And this was the norm for hundreds of years in our country. Folks, we got to start telling the truth. Tulsa, Rosewood, those are just two examples of mob violence and massacres that were were perpetrated against lawful, law-abiding Faithful good citizens to this country who happen to be black 
And when white mobs got angry and white mobs got pissed off, just like we saw January 6th at the United States Capitol, they murdered people, they beat people, they killed people, they destroyed property. And let me tell you something else. So some of you folks better get this. Go watch uh, Son of the South. It's a new movie about the life of Bob Zellner, who was one of the first white civil rights activists in uh, SNCC and, and some of the other organizations in the civil rights movement. I watched it, and what was heart-wrenching about it was that white people will kill other white people who are trying to help people of color, who are trying to help do the right thing. So the angry mob doesn't know color. The angry mob only knows its way. The angry mob only knows its will. The angry mob only knows that it wants what it wants. The angry mob only knows that it feels that it is not being heard, that it has entitlement and privilege that is above everyone else, anywhere else, and that if they don't get their way, they will break down institutions, they will kill people, they will murder police, they will murder citizens, they will burn property, they will defecate on property, they will urinate on property. By the way, this was done at the Capitol on January 6th. It's time we start calling this what it is. It was an insurrection. It was sedition. It was unconstitutional conduct. And so... If we don't start talking about our past and we don't really help our kids to understand. And again, at an age appropriate age, we agree. Uh, no critical race theory. That's that's just an academic. It's way too above the pay grade of a six year old, a 10 year old or an 18 year old. It just is. It's academia. It's academics talking about race and how the critical intersection of race plays into where we find ourselves right now. And it's in our institutions. And yes, there is systemic racism. I've been a victim of it many, many, many times. And when you're black in this country, you learn to shut your mouth about it. You learn to just keep going. Because if you stop and if you let it seep into your pores and if you let it uh, make you bitter, if you let it break you down, it will kill you. Literally, the stress of it will kill you. There's studies that back this up. I don't need a damn study. I'm black every day in this country. But I still love my country. And I still believe in it. And I still am hopeful about it. And I still believe that there's dialogue to be had. And I still believe that there are very good white people in this country. And that my neighbors are good people. And that the people in my community are good people. And we help each other. And we're not worried about what each other's color is. I think that's absolutely true. And I think that politicians like Ted Cruz and Mitch McConnell and others who seek to inflame the passions are playing with a very, very dangerous stick of dynamite. It's dangerous to do this. It's dangerous. Historically, we know it's dangerous. We've seen it. We know what it is. We know what it looks like. Folks, happy Juneteenth. Go out and commemorate today. Teach your kids about it. Sit down and there are things you can listen to. You can go to Smithsonian. You can understand uh, and you can learn and you can grow. And it's a really good day to do that. It's a good week. And a happy Father's Day to all the dads. Uh, God bless fathers. Fathers matter. They're really important. And I think we need to not downplay the value of fathers. I think we do that too much. I think that men have an enormous impact on their children for good or not. And, um, I'm wishing all the dads happy Father's Day. So, uh, God bless you and thank you. It's good to be back. Uh, we're going to start having some guests throughout the summer. I am on book sabbatical, so I have to kind of rein it in a little bit, but I wanted to come on on this day because it's a special day. And I wanted to talk about Juneteenth and what it means 
what it's all about, why it matters, and why it's a really important thing that the Congress did. Thank you to the Senate. Thank you to the Congress. And thank you to the President and the Vice President of the United States. And thank you to Ms. Opalee, who was a champion of this holiday forever. President Obama had some tweets about her this morning and talked about her uh, on his feed. The President Biden had her at the White House. And uh, thank you to her. She's in her 90s now. She never gave up. That's the American spirit that I love. That's the us that I love. The, The us that never gives up the us that fights for justice, uh, the us that is willing to march into hell for a heavenly cause. That's the us that I love. Uh, And my heart goes out to the Bidens on the loss of their dog, Champ. I've been there. We've all been there. Pets are amazing. Dogs are like people. They become like your family. And um, I'm sorry that they lost their beloved Champ today to cancer, I think. So uh, God bless the Bidens and, and God bless America and God bless you all. Thank you so much until we meet again.